Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. I'm Josh Desch, pastor of Community and Discipleship at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am joined as always by my wife, the beneficent Betsy. Hey, Betsy. Hey, could could you define that word for us? <laughs> it means just someone full of goodwill, and and it's just oh, a, it's thanks. just a great word, you know. Gosh. Plus, Thank you know, you. Beneficent Betsy, it just works. It does. All right, so we are excited today to, to bring back uh, another book review. This will be our second book review, and today we'll, we will be looking at the Christian classic Life Together. Betsy, have you read this book? I have not. I, you know, I know the basics about Bonhoeffer's life, um, but no, I have not read this one. Okay. This was my first time reading it just recently here, and let's go over, in order to really appreciate this book, we need to talk about the basics of Bonhoeffer's life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Germany, grew up in a prestigious, well-known family in the German nation, was highly educated. His father was a famous professor. Um, And then Dietrich decided to study theology and really had a very promising career in front of him. He, you know, he's a brilliant student, could have done so many things. But as he is maturing into adulthood, the Nazis come to power you know, Hitler rises and pretty much everybody in German society had to decide, am I going to support the Nazis or am I going to resist, you know, in one form or another? And Bonhoeffer, uh, to his credit, resisted the, the urge to capitulate, to do the easy thing, to support the Nazis. And he so, so he walked away from some from that th- those privileges, those comforts, and he supported the underground church, the confessing church. He even went to teach at an underground seminary, which at one point the Nazis shut down. And of course, the thing with Bonhoeffer is that eventually, for his opposition to the Nazis, for his refusal to endorse their genocidal regime, he is put in a prison camp, and he was executed just a matter of of weeks even before the Allies um, freed that prison camp uh, Mm. at the end of World War II. Mm. So a remarkable life, you know, a life of someone who um, was cut short far before its time, but in the brief years that God gave him, he wrote a number of really important books. His two most important books are Life Together and The Cost of Discipleship. And I've got to say that I've always known about these books. I've always known about Life Together, but for some reason— I just had, I had never picked it up. You know how mm. sometimes you're just kind of drawn to a book? Yes. And then it's kind of been sitting on your shelf for a long time, and then you're finally like, okay, I think the time to read it is now. Absolutely. Okay, so here's what's interesting, folks. You know, he wrote this book probably about 1937, 1938. It was published in 38. So let's say he wrote it in, you know, 37, something like that, right before the Nazis invade Poland and World War II officially begins. You know, you would think that a book this old would would possibly feel outdated, right? Mm-hmm. Irrelevant. Yeah. Speaking to questions that we aren't asking anymore, maybe. Exactly, exactly. So I pick it up, and the first thing that just hits me within the first 10 pages is, wow, this book is incredibly relevant. Mm. In fact, I can't think of a more relevant book in terms of this topic of community than this book, which which really shocked me. And and here's the here's the relevance I feel like you know living in the the Facebook world we live in 
living in a world where anxiety rates are going up, living in a world where people are increasingly polarized on all sorts of areas. Mm. We're living in a lonely, disconnected society. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Everybody would say that. Everybody would say the fabric that that holds society together in the past has been stronger, that that relationships in the past have been stronger, that people are struggling, whether you look at marriage rates, whether you look at there's so many different uh, relational measurements that we could look at, which seem to be weaker today than they were in the past. Mm-hmm. And so we think, okay, what what's a relevant resource for Christians, for for anyone really to think about this whole topic of of community and and sharing life with other people? What I discovered when I read this book is this book is as relevant today as it's ever been. And I think the American church could really benefit from reading this book, Life Together. Okay, Bets, a couple more things, and then then I'll jump into six themes, which I think are important and relevant to every Christian today. But one thing I want to say is this. Long books are hard to read, right? Yes. Agree? Yes. This book's only about 100 pages. Oh. Okay. That, that should be pretty quick. So I read it on my Kindle, so I can't tell you exactly how many pages because I still don't know what that means, yeah, you know, that, how that, that works. That is a frustrating thing to me about... Kindle. It just tells you your location. Yeah, and you're like, location what out yeah. of what? And if huh? you bl- if you blow the font up, then it becomes a thousand pages or something. But then it, yeah, yeah, that's something I don't love about Kindles. It's, and I've gotten to the end of Kindle books before, and it says eighty five percent done. Yeah, like, you just got, you just got it. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's you're Kindle like, math. What? Okay, but it's a short book. Look it up. It's only it's probably in the paperback version. It maybe is even less than a hundred pages. Anybody can do that. So if you're somebody who thinks, oh wow, this is probably some big massive doorstop by a theologian. <laughs> it's not. It's a super easy read. And something that I've been encouraged about um, with reading recently is just try to break something down into a manageable chunk. Because when you think about getting through a book, you're like, oh gosh, well, I need to put a, set aside several hours to get through this. But something I'm trying to do now with some of, some of the books that are a little bit more challenging is just like read a little chunk every day. Just be consistent, and then you really march through books that way. That's right. I mean, there are there are times where I read two pages mm-hmm. before I am drooling on myself in bed, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's over for the night. But hey, I knocked out two pages. That's right. All right, here's six insights that the American church really needs right now, and I would say even in a broader sense, everybody needs right now. Here's the first thing I want to highlight. We take Christian fellowship in and community for granted in the American church. Mm. Okay. So again, remember Bonhoeffer. He's writing, the Nazis are coming to power. People who who stand up for what the Bible really teaches are forced to go into hiding. You know, all these things that we take for granted, all of a sudden Bonhoeffer couldn't take those things for granted. And he writes this, not all Christians receive the blessing of community. Now listen, he says, the imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, the lonely, the proclaimers of the gospels in heathen lands stand alone. And he, by heathen lands, he just means non-Christian countries. So in other words, what he's saying is, he's like, Christian, hey, first of all, think about all the people that don't experience the Christian fellowship that we so take for granted. Mm. Sick people who can't go to church. Imprisoned people who are in jail. Lonely people who maybe people who really struggle with depression have a hard time getting out of bed. Christians in other countries, 
you know, and we could name those countries, mm-hmm. whether that those are Christians in the Middle East, whether those are Christians in, in China, mm-hmm. North Korea. There's lots of different places we could look at where we could say those Christians do not have the immediate access to church like we do. Bets, think about it. Here in America, anytime you want, you wake up on Sunday morning, there are tons of good churches available. You just pick the church you're going to go to if you don't, you know if you haven't committed to a church uh, or or you look at at the service time you want to go to for your church mm-hmm. uh, there are activities at churches throughout the week and it's just when's the last time bets that you thought about well what if I couldn't go yeah that's never crossed my mind honestly. what what if I was prevented from going mm-hmm. right yeah, I mean the only thing that would prevent me from going is my own choice. But maybe somebody's sick at home, or you know, maybe I, I would make the choice to do something else or something. But nothing would prevent me from going. That's right, and it's so easy for us to just take that for granted yes. and assume that that's always been the case, and that that always will be the case. That's right. But here you have Bonhoeffer in an educated, wealthy society where that no longer became the case. And even for the at, confessing church, they had to hide. And even as we see um, church attendance rates declining in the states, you know, maybe it's not the most popular thing to do to go to church faithfully, but still, no one thinks you're a wacko or um, you're not, you know, criminalized in any way or penalized in any way. And that's something we really do need need to be thankful for. We do. And of course, it's like anything in life. You don't appreciate it until you lose it or until it's taken away. And as Americans, we need to remember, hey, am I taking church for granted? Hmm. Am I taking Christian fellowship for granted? It doesn't just apply to Sunday morning. What about your small group? What about other functions? What about other opportunities where you can hang out with other Christians and you might say, no, I think this other thing's more important. Mm-hmm. It's just something we take for granted. Mm-hmm. So that's the first insight I wanted to point out. The second thing is this. Bonhoeffer gives a great description of what is Christian community, period. And I think this is helpful because it's always helpful to define our terms and understand what we're talking about. And this is what he writes. He says, and I quote, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. In other words, he is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the sole basis of this community. When we think about what Christian community is, it's centered on who Jesus is and on nothing else. Hmm. And and that's important because we can can look at other things and say, well, uh, I need to have this in common with this person, or, or I'm not sure I can relate to this person over here. You know, but but at the end of the day, we're one family in Jesus. Yeah, and that means that we can relate across all, or we should be able to relate across all kinds of lines that don't typically blend in society. You know, you've got people of one class kind of um, sticking with themselves, people of another class kind of sticking with themselves, or, you know, similar interests bind people together in different ways. But when you break it down to what binds the Christian community together— being the Lord Jesus, that's so unifying. It is so unifying. And I feel like increasingly in our society, we're looking at ways we're different. Mm-hmm. We're looking at things that divide us. You're different from me in this way. You're different from me in this way. And Bonhoeffer says, look, we're all one in Jesus. It's that simple. That's mm-hmm. Christian community. Don't overdefine it. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. 
we're one people in Jesus. That's it. That's the basis. Hmm. And that connects to a third insight, which is which is closely connected to his definition of community, which is that uh, we are one in and through Jesus. And that's the third. And the third insight is believers are already family. It's a present reality. It's not something that we aspire to. So he writes this: Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Hmm. So here's the thing. We're not aiming for community. Community is already there. It's just a question of, am I going to partake of it? Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that community can't get better, right? doesn't mean that you can't grow in your Christian friendships and in your small group, your Bible study, whatever that Christian community uh, that you have. But no Christian can legitimately say, I don't have Christian community. Bonhoeffer would say, no, 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 wait a second. Christian community is a reality that's already been created in Jesus. The question is, are you participating in it or not? I love that. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. Because I think there's a lot of Christians out there that would say, oh, if I just had community, or how do I find community? Or, you know, and and they they make it sound like, Community is this really elusive, hard, difficult thing, which maybe they're going to find, maybe they're not going to find. But Bonhoeffer says, no, it's already there. You just got to participate in it. Mm. And again, this comes back to a guy who he could appreciate whatever he had because of the context he was uh, living in. Now, a fourth insight. This one's great. And this is about accepting Christians for who God has made them to be. Bonhoeffer Mm. writes this. God did not make this person or that person as I would have made them. (laughs) Okay? And that's the whole quote. (laughs) He just says, that's the whole quote. And then, of course, he has a lot more to say about this. Um, Or, Well, actually, I'll add this. I'll add a little more to the quote. He did not give him to me as a brother for me to dominate and control, but in order that I might find above him the creator. So, you know what? Just accept people the way they are. Mm, I love that. Right? Right. Okay. That's so much what we want to do is we take we see someone and and we say, "Hmm, that person would be a little better if we could help them root out that habit or that habit." Yes. And not that sometimes that is part of the role of community is to help us to be more Christ-like, but sometimes the ways that we clash with people are just personality conflicts, just the way that God has made them and the things that are important to them and their passions and their gifts. And um I think that's great. Yeah, and if and if we have and if we have a difficulty with somebody's personality, for example, how much of that is about us just not wanting to be inconvenienced, right. or not wanting to deal with a, a personality we don't like, or a sense of humor we don't like, or to confront our own pride? To yeah, say, to well, confront our own pride. Right. But uh, yeah, Bonhoeffer says, look, you're, you, God didn't make your brother or your sister the way you would have made them. They're not that. your project. They're your brother and sister. Okay, just two more things quickly here. He talks about the necessity of prayer. Listen to this quote, Betts. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses, hmm. which is, that's a very, this very strong language. In other words, he's saying, if we're not praying with and for each other, forget about it, we're done. Hmm. That is an essential ingredient to us being the church, saying we're the church, you know, if, if there's not prayer, that's right. If there's not that spiritual component to our fellowship, then it's it's really not Christian fellowship. 
And we need we need to seek the Lord's help in so many ways to have real Christian fellowship, you know, that God would would bind our hearts together, that he would help us all to be more Christ-like. And those are things that we we can't do in our own capacity. Um, so we really have to seek him that that our community would grow to be what it can be and what God wants it to be. Exactly. L- looking to him for his grace to build our community the way it should be and and realizing that there's so many forms of community out there but what one of the things that's unique about Christian community is prayer, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to pray in a lot of your other communities. Yeah, right. I mean, not going to pray with your class at the gym or Yeah, I mean, if you are maybe, <laughs> so. you know, yeah, you that'd know, be a different kind of thing. I guess you could. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, you know, sort of the deep value of that prayer, but Well, one thing I I appreciate about that is it highlights for us that God has not made us to play the role of the Holy Spirit in mm. other people's lives, you know, and, and that piggybacks on the last point about God didn't make this person as I would have made them. So often we feel like if we just have the right words for someone, that'll change who they are, or, you know, we want to play this very, um, very much almost the Holy Spirit's role in in someone's life. And But the highlighting the necessity of prayer is to say, not that we don't speak into other people's lives, but also just to to be in prayer for each other that we would more and more reflect who God is and not feel like um, we have this burden upon us to to play the Holy Spirit's role in yeah. other people's lives. A- am I constantly confronting a, a Christian instead of praying for the Christian? That's right. I right. mean, if I am, something's wrong. Right. How often do we just you know take take something to a person versus how often do we pray about it? Um, that's convicting to yep. me. Bottom line, there's got to be prayer in our fellowship, of course. We don't need to get legalistic about how much it is or any of that stuff. It's going to vary, but prayer should be there. Or as Bonhoeffer says, the whole thing collapses. And I think, too, as I reflect on my um, experiences with praying with people and for people— that is such a powerfully bonding experience when mm-hmm. you share prayer together, when you lift your hearts to the Lord together. I just think that is such a wonderful way to build community right there, just praying together. Yep. All right. Excellent. Last insight, number six here. Bonhoeffer talks about how important it is for there to be a role for every Christian in the church. And he says this, if every member receives a definite task to perform for the community— that he may know in hours of doubt that he too is not useless and unusable. Mm. In other words, there shouldn't be Christians that just wander the halls of the church or or anywhere else and just think, do I have a place here? You know, am I useless? Would I be missed at all? Every Christian should be deployed in the work of ministry and using their gifts and and their gifts recognized by other members of the church so that they realize that they have an important role to play too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so often we focus on the leaders in ministry, like you being in a pastoral mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so easy to say, well, of course the pastors or the leaders, they have all these gifts, you know. Um, but then it's so true that God has given all of his people gifts for his people that we can use to bless. So that's that's so important. It's so important. So Church Bonhoeffer has given us a lot of very helpful things to remember. Just to go over them very quickly, we we take community for granted in the Christian church. We shouldn't do that. Uh, Christian community is built in and through Jesus Christ only. Third, community is already present, and it's up to us whether or not we're going to participate in it. 
Uh, fourth, God did not make a person the way I would have, and that's okay. Fifth, we need to be praying. And sixth, there needs to be a role for every Christian in the church. If we really own these things, I think we'll see real growth and real community among our churches and among groups of Christians. Mm, Betsy, what have you been reading? Well, um, so I like to kind of think about this, what I'm reading as um, a Pokemon. Now, hang with me because you have to follow my logic here. How much do you know about Pokemon, Josh? They're small Japanese animated creatures. And some are very, very cute. Some are cute. I have to say. We love love, Pikachu. They're almost like pets. Aren't they like pets, sort of? So I actually asked one of our little guys about this yesterday because I wanted to use this analogy, but I wanted to make sure that I was Mm. using this correctly for any of you Pokemon fans out there. I didn't want to step on your toes. So Mm -hmm. a Pokemon starts as a basic form. All right, mm-hmm. and then it goes through these evolutions. When it uh, it wins a battle or it succeeds in something, it comes to a more powerful form of itself. Maturation, growth. Yes, exactly. Yep, yep. So this is my point. I feel like I am evolving as a Pokemon. Wow. Uh, can I quote? Can I quote <laughs> you on just that sentence right there? You may. Okay. Um, so my point being this: um, as I've as I've you know, gotten a little older, the questions that I am asking about life has cha- have changed a lot, mm-hmm. actually. And so, therefore, what I have interest in is changing as well. So, I'm kind of going through this Pokemon mm-hmm. evolution, mm-hmm. hopefully becoming a more powerful version of myself, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know about that. Wow. So, anyway, I think this year, 2019, is going to be the year of apologetics and philosophy for me. Wow. Now, that is a statement I would never have thought I would have made those as a younger some, person. Those are some big words you just used there, Betsy. That's I know. A, that's a... Big Pokemon. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I am doing um, some reading in those um, in those fields. So I'm still working through Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. And then the next book I think I'm going to take up is called Reasonable Faith. It's by William Lane Craig um, talking about, you know, answers to the new atheists um, that faith is reasonable and it's not something just for crazy people. You can follow me in my year of Pokemon evolution mm-hmm. as I get more and more into the interests that I think God's put on my heart. And also, um, just by way of a beach read, I have to recommend the book Bad Blood to our readers. This is by the journalist um, John Carreyrou. He's from the Wall Street Journal. It's about the company called Theranos. I don't know if anyone heard about the, this company. They started in the mid-2000s. By a Stanford grad, she dropped out of Stanford, I think at 19, and wanted to develop this technology where you could stick a finger, and from that finger stick, use those tiny drops of blood to run um, a few hundred different blood tests. That was her vision. Never quite materialized, but she... um, it is just the wackiest story of, you know, some corporate fraud and lies and misleading investors. All that to say, in the year... I'm not sure which year, maybe 2012, the company was valued in in the billions, like $9 billion. And as of now, I think it's valued at zero. So you got to read that book. And mm. uh, Bad Blood, it mm. is fascinating. Mm. Kind of a look into the human machinations. Wow. It's just so good. Wow. Yeah. Betsy, you are quite an impressive reader. Will mm. you be reading any 17 magazine or red book this year? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Thanks for joining us, folks. 
Email us at intersect at anyprez.com if you have um, any feedback for us. Remember, find us on Instagram at, at intersectpodcast. Our website is um, anyprez.com slash podcast. You can find all of our episodes there along with show notes. So um, hope you guys enjoyed the episode today. Catch us next time. See you later. <laughs>